Uh, as way of review, uh, we looked at last week the historical background of who, the, who this character was, who Melchizedek was, and, and found that he was actually a type or a picture of, of Christ. Uh, Melchizedek was a king and a priest from Salem, which is uh, you know, the same location as Jerusalem, and he was seen as greater than Abraham, which again is a huge statement uh, for, for, uh, within Jew- the Jewish context, saying someone is greater than Abraham. Uh, this wasn't a pre-incarnate Christ, right? He was uh, a man who lived, he ruled in a specific geographic location. We don't really see that as a description of pre-incarnate uh, Christ elsewhere, so I, I wouldn't assume it is here, um, but the scriptures do say that he is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. He resembled the Messiah in, in certain key ways, and it is this individual and his order of priesthood, not the Levitical priesthood, to whom Christ belongs. Again, let's keep in, in our mind as well uh, who, who the author is writing to. The author is writing to Jewish Christians, amongst some who are genuine, others who, who are not. And for many, they're sort of in this state of flux, and they have this temptation uh, to retreat back into Judaism. And what the author is doing, why he's landing on this topic and staying there so long, is he is trying to, with all his power, convince the readers that any such retreat would be a retreat into an inferior, less than perfect priesthood. And he's doing so, uh, ex- explaining this by showing how great of a priest Jesus Christ is. That's really what Hebrews 7 is focusing on. It's really just getting across one point about Christ. We see that Christ is revealed as the great high priest who is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Let's now read the passage together and see how this point specifically comes about uh, through, through the Word. So let's stand if we're able and we will read the text together. Starting at verse 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical law, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. A tribe with reference to which Moses spoke, nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For, on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weaknesses and use, because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And insomuch as it was not without an oath, For they indeed became priests without an oath. 
But he, with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest. So much more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Let's pray for this word. Dear Lord, we once again ask, Lord, that you would let this word, let your truth change us and transform us, Lord. Lord, that you would reveal to us what it says in your scripture and that it wouldn't just be something that we sort of intellectually assent to, God, but it would be something relational, something deep. Give us that deep, intimate knowledge of you through the scripture, through the truth revealed about you found in your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that you may be glorified in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. And the heart of the saint, again, when they hear this description of this, this perfect priesthood, it should the heart of a saint, one who is eating on the mature meat of Christ, should be one of joy, one of awe, one of worship, one that produces perseverance as we consider this sort of eternal work that Christ has done. This work is perfect, and it is complete, and it restores relationship with the infinite God. This is incredible things to consider, and true Christians pressing on will eat this mature meat of Christ, of Christ seen as as priest in the order of Melchizedek. And what the author is doing is he is taking this truth, taking this mature meat, and he is putting it before his audience, and he is saying, feast on this truth. It is good truth. And friends, too, I invite us this morning to feast on this truth of Christ's priesthood. Will you allow it to bolster us to have new thanksgivings towards God? To bolster us to have new perseverance, a renewed perseverance to press on our meditations on such a grand truth should allow us to face anything this world has has to throw at us with a smile as we consider the priest who's done it. And this is, this is personal, friends. That's what I was praying for, that this would be a, a truth we understand experientially and personally. God wants you to know that Christ is your perfect high priest to represent you before God. 
And this news should bring great joy to us. Nothing and no one is, is perfectly sufficient to represent us clean as, as, as children before God except Christ. And this is what the author is explaining. And again, if you have this Christian nature, you're going to hear this and this is going to ignite your heart with joy. This should again produce in us thanksgiving, uh, the ability to press on, to move forward. That is what the author wants the reader to do. And that is what we should be uh, doing as well. And so what he's doing is he's, uh, the author is, is holding up this wonderful mature meat of Christ as priest. And then he's also, in, in tandem, holding up the old Jewish way. He's comparing, essentially, to, to use his, his mature meat analogy, he's comparing sort of a filet mignon to a three-week-old cold peanut butter sandwich. All right, and he's saying, here, take the better. Take the best. And so that's how we're going to go about this. We're going to look at the ineffectiveness of the law and the old priesthood. And then we're going to look at the effectiveness of, of Christ, who is our great high priest. So let's jump into this now, starting uh, at verse 18. Uh, prior to verse 18, verse 17, the author quotes again Psalm 110. He loves Using, using this verse. And the verse basically describes Messiah, describes the Son as a priest from the order of Melchizedek. And he's, he's trying to show that this is better. And he's trying to give insight into why this psalm that's saying that, that Christ is part of this order, why it's significant. And to do so, he, he talks about the old order. He talks about the old priesthood. He says, for on one hand, there is a setting aside of the former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And this is really quite an outrageous claim to make before a Jewish audience. The author goes as far as saying that these old Jewish ways, the law that you were previously accustomed to, that, that you were living in, is weak and useless. A, a Jew hearing this is going to be taken back by such a phrase. Now, what, is it, what does he mean here? Well, the term weak, when we think of the term weak, it's obviously contrasted with strong. So, so weak, really he's emphasizing a lack of sufficient strength to do a certain task. Right? If I told you, hey, uh, I want you to lift a car for me, you might say, unless, unless you're really, really strong, you might say, I can't because I'm too weak. I'm not equipped appropriately to lift this car. I'm lacking the muscles. I'm lacking something. And so, Really, this is highlighting an insufficiency, some sort of inability to operate in a certain way, to do a certain, certain thing. And so, he calls the law weak. It can't reach the proper goal. Thus, it's called useless, unprofitable, not, not of worth, something to be set aside. Again, a, a Jew is going to be reading this and saying, huh? Set aside the law? I mean, after all, this, this law that the author is arguing to set aside, 
is what gave them the means to have a small glimpse and a taste of relationship with, with God. It's, it's, it's revelation from God. We set, set this aside? What, what does that mean? He's calling it weak and, and unprofitable? Again, anything that is called weak or un, unprofitable or useless has to be in relation to a particular goal. A weak person, by the way, you know, like for, for way of analogy, can hold up a stone just fine. You're, you're equipped to hold up a stone. You're not equipped to hold up a car. And, and so I say, if the goal was, God's goal for, for his relationship to us, how, how we relate to our Lord, if his goal was a small glimpse and a small taste of, of relationship, maybe it was useful in that context. However, verse 19 is clear because it tells us what the goal the author had in mind is. It tells us that the, the goal was to make things perfect. That that is the goal that it cannot meet. It cannot restore things. It, it cannot make things complete or perfect in the way that it ought to be. The reason the law was useless is because it failed this goal. It failed completion. It failed perfection. The goal that God had in mind from the very beginning was perfect, restored, eternal relationship with Him. That was the trajectory He was on from the moment man sinned when He promised to crush the serpent's head. Now, after examining this, this Jewish law, the author says this law fails that goal. It can't do that. This is imperfect. It's incapable of appropriately rest restoring the relationship with the Father in the full sense that God wants. So he says it's useful. It's unprofitable in this end. Uh, to this end. And, and he really, what, I think what was happening is in Judaism, at the, at the time, they were settling for less than the best, right? Messiah came, he did his work, and they were settling for something less than the best. The Jews had been content with the blurry image so long that they thought the blurry image might, might be all there is. But there was more. And we often, too, settle for less than, than the best, Less than perfect restoration. Every time we try to buy the law, fellowship with God, every time we try with just buy the law to, to have relationship with God, it never works. We'll always fail. You and I can never make things perfect through the law. The intended goal was to make things fully right, complete and perfect once again. And the author speaks of a better way. The author speaks of a better way. There's a better hope that restores things to what they, they ought to be and allows us to draw near to God, verse 19. And on the other hand, again, back to the delicious filet, right? On the other hand, there is a bringing, up, uh, bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The law fails to appropriately do this. The law can't allow us to draw near. The law can't make us, us complete, 
can't restore things. This only can be done one way. Through Christ. In fact, when He died on the cross, He said, it is finished. That phrase has with it actually the same Greek kind of root like this, of this, this purpose that is coming to completion. Things being made right or being made perfect. It wasn't done through the Old Testament Jewish ways in the law. It was done through our Savior, Jesus Christ. The better hope that allows us to draw near to God. Something the law could never do, but that Jesus did Himself. And also notice that this is, sounds, this is very intimate. This sounds a lot more than a mere glimpse or, or a taste into a relationship with God. This is referring to full access to God. This is drawing near to the Creator of the heavens and the earth. There is nothing more important for, for us, friends. There is nothing more important than that. And it is made available to you and, and to, to me through Jesus Christ this morning. It's more than a mere taste. It's the fullness. And and because of Christ's work, we can spend eternity in a loving relationship with Him just as He intended. The law can't do that, the author argues. So why go back? Why go back? And friends, for us too, everything and anything we try again will always be incapable of drawing us close to God. God intends you know, to, have, to have us draw in through relationship and through uh, Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Nothing else can draw you near to God. Islam can't draw you near to God. Not, not really. That's just more works, isn't it? Buddhism can't draw you near to God. Has lofty goals of being one with the universe or what have you, but it's, it's lacking so much, and it's, it's never actually fulfilled that for anyone, has it? Moralism won't bring you close to God. Following all of the rules, you will find time and time again that you are incapable. The only thing that can bring you close to God, that can draw you near God, is this better hope of, of the, in the priestly work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is alone the better hope that will bring you near to God in the way it should be, in the perfect way He can make things right and complete. And His role is certain. I, I want to use the word destined, but really that's not quite appropriate maybe to reference Jesus, but it, but it was certain. The whole universe is, is, is basically revolving around Jesus Christ being priest. Jesus Christ fulfilling this role. The Father Himself declared this. That's why the author is constantly bringing up Psalm 110 and using it as evidence that the Son, that Messiah, is, is, is in fact, priest forever. He uses this messianic psalm over and over again. And the language here is, is clear. He uses it again here. He says, and insomuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. 
The author uses this, this psalm, this messianic psalm, 110, to show Jesus Christ's role as, as priest is a part of the divine fabric of reality. That God, the Father, has, has declared it so. And look at the clear and permanent language. God will not change His mind. Notice the word forever that is constantly brought up here. This, this is all characterized by the author as an oath. And this is strong language. If someone makes an oath, they are swearing that something is indeed true. Uh, in a courtroom, if you're under oath, it is a formal promise that you are being truthful in the things that you are saying. And if you're found not to be truthful, there are consequences for that. Now, usually, just given the fact that God cannot lie, we sort of assume already that he is telling the truth. God never lies. So, so what's this, the purpose of this? Why is the author using this and saying, this is an oath? Well, generally, we see this language of swearing uh, or making oaths as it's, whenever it's used of God. It's related to covenant with man. It's related to, to covenant somehow. There's a covenantal aspect to this. Uh, remember the concept of, of God swearing and making an oath. It was already brought up in the last chapter in verses 13 through 20. First speaking of, of swearing, uh, God swearing by himself to a covenant with Abraham. And, and the author says after that that we have a hope, something sure, an anchor for our soul. And now what, he, what he's doing here is he's just reiterating the, sa the same point. The author brings it back up here. He says, Psalm 110 is an oath made by God. Certain, and it highlights the covenantal uh, aspect, the covenant by which God promises deeper and better relationship with him than the old covenant. Moreover, verse 22 just sort of brings out the fact that this is related to covenant. He says, so much more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So, so here's what's happening. By using this psalm, and, and by saying that the Father is speaking about the Son forever, as, as a forever priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, it's tantamount to Jesus being a guarantee for us to through him partake in a better covenant. Think, think about it. What did priests do? Priests represented man to God. Priests had a cleansing duty uh, to cleanse man before God. And, and the fabric of reality is that Jesus was always going to do this role. He is a priest forever in this order of Melchizedek. This is a guarantee of a covenant, of a, of a relational aspect of how we relate to God, restored. If the Son was sworn by the Father as a priest, this means the Son is, is, a, is a priest forever. The mediator who allows us to draw near to God. The paradigm of priesthood. So, so often we think, like, oh, well, the Old Testament types are the real thing. And God based the Old Testament type 
off of, uh, uh, or, or the New Testament, you know, Jesus Christ, off of the Old. No, no, no. Jesus is the paradigm priest. He's the real deal. Such an oath was never made to Levitical priests. This is indicative of a new and better covenant in the reality of who the Son is, guaranteed by oath of the Father. He swore to this description of, of His Son, of Messiah. This level of guarantee we have in Christ as our priest. You put your money on that. You bet your life on that. With this declaration of Christ as, as a priest, there's, there's nothing we can really be more certain of. The Father swore, swore to this, that He is a priest forever. Christ's identity is sure. Again, it is at the very fabric of the reality of our universe. It is, it is true of Jesus forever. Again, to the audience reading this, the author is trying to show that Jesus Messiah, the priest, is the guarantee of, of a new promise, something better, that he wants them to go into, something better that, that God has for them, something better than the old priesthood, something that can make things perfect, that can actually do it, to have that deep relationship between man and God forever restored through a forever priest, the Son of God. This description, he shifts back now to the old priesthood and he explains the old way and how they are incapable of appropriately doing the priestly role in the perfect forever way that Jesus can. Verse 23, the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing so the author here is, it, it takes the old Jewish system and he highlights a fundamental weakness. He says every priest in that old system, every single one could not forever represent the people to God. They can't forever do their ministry of cleansing. Why? Because every priest would die and so they could not continue. Even the most esteemed priests who did everything the way they should, who, who might have even been good at being the, the Levitical priests that they were supposed to be, they can't do it forever. They can't function in that role forever. And in Numbers chapter 20, verse 28, Aaron, the first uh, priest in the Old Testament system, came to the end of his priesthood. Moses took him to the mountain with Eleazar, and, and they transferred priestly robes, and then Aaron died. And it continued. Eleazar transferred his robes to Phineas and so on and so forth. I think some sources, uh, like the Talmud, record almost 300 uh, different high priests. This was, this was marked by impermanence. It was never, it was, it was just like a role someone filled for a little bit, but they couldn't do it correctly. They couldn't do it forever. They died. They couldn't function the way they should. A staple of this old system was the constant flux of priests, alluding overall to its very insufficiency in what it was trying to do. The Old Testament was just, just a small glimpse at what, what God was going to do. And you know, perhaps some of the Jews, they just accepted this the death of their, their high priests is as normal. Oh, well, everybody's time comes to an end, right? 
wrong. This whole Jewish Levitical system was but a blurry picture. Brothers and sisters, don't be satisfied with that blurry picture. Be satisfied with the forever priest, Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean, again, that there was no use for the Old Testament system, but it does mean that it was just temporary. We live in a new era. We live in the era where there is a forever priest who has came, who has died, done the priestly work once and for all. Who accomplished far more and perfected things in a way that hundreds and hundreds of earthly priests were never capable of doing. The earthly priest was just... It was just a duty handed down time and time again. But the author is pointing out that this isn't good enough. This isn't the perfect picture that God had for how he should relate to mankind. And then verse 24 starts with, but Jesus. And it says, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. The system didn't, didn't work. The old system, the law was weak and useless, says the author. The priests all died according, uh, you know, going through succession and succession time and time again until the forever priest, the one destined to be priest, the one sworn by the Father to do this role correctly. And not just for a short time, but for forever. Friends, there is one priest only who is not prevented by death from continuing. And that is He who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. He is a priest forever, not prevented by death. His, his, his ministry is marked with permanence. Remember too, when God says something, it, it is, He cannot lie. He swore, this is a priest forever. It's marked by permanence. And the fact that he has an indestructible life. We just saw in verse 16, who has become such not that the basis on the basis of the law of the physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' priesthood, it's permanent, it's non-transferable. There is no one else in the in the line of succession. It is him. And this permanence, it's good news for us. Because this means, friends, that we are saved forever by His priestly work. He is able to make His case before God forever. He's able to represent us forever. Verse 25, Therefore He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Since Christ lives forever, He is able to do this work forever with complete effectiveness. The way God intended it to be done. He has a greater ability than these Old Testament priests. Moreover, this salvation offered through this priest, it's, it's eternal it's eternal. It is forever. We don't need to keep doing sacrifices time and time and time again. This is something that we have. He's always there to plead our case. He cannot stop representing you before the, the, the Father. Salvation is yours completely and forever. And it, and it won't go away. Your salvation won't go away. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus won't go away.
Jesus Christ is the, he's, he's the priest. His role, his duty as priest will be forever relevant. Swears, swears the, the Father. He is a priest forever. It is always going to be relevant. You know, in, in heaven, it's not like we're going to graduate from this concept. You know, sure, we'll learn new things, but, but really, we will always be able to say, thank you, Jesus, for your priestly work for all of eternity. Always able to represent you, always able to intercede. You can draw near to God, have that full relationship restored through Him, the paradigm of priestly work. And friends, this is what is available to you this morning. The longing the insufficiencies, the endless searching, the confusion, the endless guilt, the need to be cleansed, it stops with Christ. It stops with Christ in His great priestly work. And notice, notice this phrase too. It says, through Him. Here is who He is able to save. Not through the law, not through, through man's work. It says He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. The only eternal way of salvation. The only way to have right relationship permanently restored with God. It is through Him. John 14, 6. I am the way to the Father. Nobody comes to me or to Him except through me. He is not a way. He is the only way. He is the perfect priest forever. And eternal salvation is found in no one else. If you're trying to be cleansed any other way, if you're trying to draw near to God, you know, everyone's a seeker. He's, oh, I'm seeking, seeking God. If, you're, if, that, if that's genuine, if you really are, you know, seeking God and you're interested, here's the way through Jesus. The only way. Your searching can stop. He is the way of eternal salvation for you this morning. Would you embrace this infinite, awesome relationship with the, with the Almighty God through Christ this morning. And friends, we need this high priest. We need this high priest. He has special qualities that make him the perfect priest we need to draw near to God. It describes Christ. It says, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. One commentator writes, the point of being fitting is not what we deserved, but rather what we truly needed. For perfect, fully restored relationship, God will accept nothing but perfection. Nothing but Christ. And so, we see the author describe that which we truly, we truly need. To, the person we need to be our priest. The person we need to perform this cleansing act once and for all. They needed to be a holy priest. And none is holier than, than the Son of God. He is distinct in His nature. He is distinct in His functions. The author of Hebrews says He's higher than the angels. He is completely and utterly separate from all. Not tainted by sin. Right? And it's described some of these other things. He needs to be innocent. Who was more innocent than Christ? Though he was tempted in the wilderness, he never sinned. Perfectly innocent, spotless, without blemish, undefiled. No one meets that characteristic. No earthly priest, no Jewish priest, no Catholic priest. The only person who meets that description is Jesus Christ. 
This is the one who we need. We need a priest who's, again, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. We know that Christ is, is this being. The author of Hebrews has spent chapters explaining how, how high and how holy Christ is. And this is a description of every necessary feature of a perfect priest fitting for our needs, the one we truly need to have the work done completely, to have, have things made perfect, so to speak. This is a description of an ideal, paradigmical priest who is able to do completely and perfectly the priestly duties. Verse 26 is essentially why the law failed and why it wasn't useful in, in 19. It's, it, it couldn't do these things. It needed to be a person. It needed to be, it needed to be the Son. It was, in fact, sworn by the Father to be Jesus Christ for all eternity. No one but the Son is qualified except the Son. He is a fitting high priest for you and I. This is a priest that truly cleanses us, represents us the way we need to be represented, cleanses us the way we need to be cleansed. No greater representative, no greater mediator, no greater high priest for us. He is the epitome, the paradigm, and the reality of what it means to be a priest. And this is not, friends, wishful thinking. This is a reality about Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. And he goes on describing the perfect priest. It's one who does not need daily like those high priests to offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he did it once and for all when he offered up himself. Now, a thoughtless reader might look at verse 27 and say, oh, Jesus offers sacrifice for both himself and others. Is that what's implied here? Aha, he's not perfect. No, that's nonsense. That's ripping everything out of context. He just described him as perfectly innocent in verse the prior verse. You can't look at it like that. That is not what it is saying. Jesus Christ is sinless. He did not need to pay a sacrifice for himself. Again, just a verse ago, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, above all, exalted in the heavens. Moreover, look at what he's offering. Isn't this interesting? He's offering himself as a sacrifice. And we know that blemishes, defects, imperfections, they weren't suitable sacrifices in Levitical law, in the Old Testament. Thus, we can conclude that this, this true archetype priest, Jesus of Melchizedek, offered no sacrifice on his own behalf because he had no sin. He was the perfect spotless lamb. And this is in contrast to the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests, they sinned. Again, we, we talked about this some, some weeks ago. Leviticus 16 indicates that the, the priest was to make sacrifice for them, themselves and it involved... Uh, you know, uh, them recognizing their own sin and, and, and having a sacrifice for their own sin. And this is less than ideal. How could such a model of sinful priests who themselves are imperfect, who can't do things uh, right themselves, how can that be the eternal restorative picture of what relationship between God and man is to look like? It's not. 
There is one who was sinless. There is one who was perfect. Again, this is Jesus Christ. There's a better reality. The ideal uh, is the perfect priesthood of, of Jesus. He had no sin himself, and so he could offer himself as a sacrifice entirely for you and I. And we see that this is uh, what he did. He did, that is, uh, uh, this he did, that is, offer sacrifice for the people once and for all when he offered up himself. Uh, notice a few things. Again, Jesus was innocent. He himself was not just the priest, but he was also the sacrifice as well in the priestly role. He's, he's, he's doing it all, and he's doing it all perfectly. This is amazing. And so he's, he's able to, or, to be the, not just the orchestrator of the priestly work, but himself the perfect innocent sacrifice for us. A pure and innocent sacrifice was always required. And now we see Jesus uh, step into the fullness of what that means. These animals, those were just allusions to this work that was taking place by the priest Jesus. Our priest himself was also the sacrifice Christ's human nature, fully innocent and so suitable for this work in the true, effectual, restorative way planned from the beginning. This, again, is the archetypal priestly work. And it's done once and for all, it says. It is perfect. Remember Jesus, again, crying out on the cross, it is finished. No more, no more earthly sacrifices to temporarily cover sin. It's done. You don't need to offer anything else before God ever again. Your works, your striving, you're done because Christ fulfilled everything in his priestly work that, that was required. It's restored. This is the core of our faith, friends. Again, remember, this is the mature meat that he was talking about. Are you excited to hear this? I don't care if you just got saved or if you've been saved for a very long time. Again, eternally relevant. Would you leave this place praising him? Whether it be for the first time because you just recognized it or the millionth time. It never gets old. But there were limitations in this old system, but not, but not this new. This new is perfect. It's complete. He's the true priest. The opposite of weak and use, useless. He did it. He restored relationship. He did the priestly work as it should have been done. Perfectly and completely. And forever restored us to our Heavenly Father. And, and so the author reiterates the effectiveness of Christ by way of a final summarization, really, in, in verse 28, where it says, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of, of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. The priesthood culminates in Jesus, friends. The universe affirms and orients around this truth of, of His perfection in his priestly duty. This being is our priest, is our representative before God. Wow. Friends, we've all messed up. We all deserve hell and separation. But Jesus Christ, he's able to plead our case forever. He's able to 
totally and completely represent us before the Father. No more partial coverings, no more blood sacrifices, no more anything. No more constant trying to obey and failing and, oh no, my relationship is tarnished with God. Christ has done the work. We have a Messiah who died for us, who cleansed us, who rose again, and is forever able to plead our case before the Father based on His own sacrificial work. And it was absolute and strong in fulfilling its purpose, unlike the old system, which was unable. The Son is called by the Father a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And friends, that is our priest. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You for this truth. We thank You for Your work for us, Lord, that You had a plan from the beginning to restore us to full relationship with You. Lord, I pray that those who don't know You would see that that You, Lord, Jesus Christ, are the only way. Lord, let this truth resonate in our hearts as we leave this place, as we fellowship with one another at the Christmas fest. Lord, let this truth never leave us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.